Welcome to Vertical Church. My name is David. I'm the pastor here. And we are in the midst of our series, Rend the Heavens. Rend the Heavens, and we're looking at the four pillars of Vertical Church. That's how we're starting out January, and it has been an amazing start to this new year. Our prayer is for a passionate outcry for the presence of God. And this series comes from Isaiah 64.1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And we truly believe that the reason we're here today, the reason we got up, came out to worship God, is so that we could see God's manifest presence, enter into this place, move us, and shake the mountains in our lives. We believe that as we go out and live on mission for Jesus, the only way that that's going to work is if God's presence is moving through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives today. So, we're going to want to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the Rend the Heaven series, we're looking at that. We're, we've already looked at the first three pillars. We've looked at unashamed adoration, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. We've looked at the preaching element, boldly proclaiming the word of God without apology. Last week, we looked at prayer, firmly believing in the power of prayer. And this week, we are looking at our fourth pillar, witnessing, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. We believe if we do these four simple things, God will use our church in a mighty and powerful way. Ephesians 6.18 tells us that if we're going to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, there's something that we need to understand about witnessing. So Ephesians 6, 18, I want to read that for you. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. This is Paul speaking. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So if Paul is telling the Ephesians, hey, I need you to pray for me, what do you think that says about us? means we should be doing the same thing, right? We should have that prayer in our lives that we can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So this sermon is going to be about witnessing. I've already used the term mystery of the gospel. I've used the term good news. And let me just, before we go any further, say if you want to know what witnessing is all about, you have to know the good news first. And this, this sermon isn't going to do you any good if you don't already know Jesus Christ as your Savior. So what do we mean when we say the good news of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? Well, it all starts in the book of Genesis. The, doesn't start, the gospel, a lot of times people would th will start with the gospel being Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. You may wonder, well, David, why are you saying that? Well, we start with the fact that we're sinners. We're fallen. We're messed up. That's in Genesis 3. That's the fall. But the Bible starts... In Genesis 1, with the fact that God created you in his image, and he called it good. Everything that you are, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities, those were created by God, designed specifically and uniquely so that you could radiate and magnify God's character. That's what glorifying him is. In this world, we're the crowning achievement of his creation. We're the little prisms of who God is. And we're to reflect his glory and his goodness in the world. That's amazing, right? That sounds awesome, wonderful. I love this. But quickly, after you have the creation, you have man's fall, which is the bad news. And this is where the good news, actually, the good news wouldn't be so great if it wasn't for this important aspect. Aspect number two of the fall. 
We, in, in our human flesh, rebelled against God. We sinned against him. Adam and Eve made the, sinned against God. Um, Romans 5.12 talks about this. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So we are now, our relationship with God is broken. It's not what it was created to be. It's not what it was meant to be. And we need that relationship restored. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is where the capital G, capital N, good news really comes in. You had, you were created in God's image. You were fallen. God loved you anyway. And Ephesians 2 is a great passage just to sum this up. Ephesians 2 I'm going to read 1 through 10 just to describe what we're talking about here when we say the good news. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the good news. That's the mystery of the gospel. We didn't deserve this, but God sent Jesus into this world to die the death that we deserve so that we could have new life in Christ. How powerful is that? You can't make that up. Now, this is where he starts to get interesting, though. This is honestly the facepalm emoji moment. We have this glorious truth. For those of us who know Jesus, that is our life. That's our identity. But so many of us are afraid and scared to talk about that, to share our testimony, to share our faith. Oftentimes, we get this mindset that, oh, man, everybody else I know, already they've already heard it. Uh, They've already rejected it. I don't ever really have an opportunity. We have all these weak excuses in our mind on why we don't open up our mouth and speak boldly of the mystery of the gospel. So as a church that wants to be on mission for God's glory, one of the byproducts of that is we're sharing our testimony, we're sharing our faith. So this sermon today is literally going to be on witnessing why we should witness, and how we should witness. And I want to talk through the four reasons that we don't witness. We make a lot of excuses, but I think when, we, when it comes down to it, there's four big reasons why we don't witness. And let me just address, first of all, before I even get to that, you may think, well, there's not really that many people around me that, that haven't already heard. They, they, I mean, we live in South Carolina, right? People, people know the gospel here. So is it really that big of a deal, David? Well, I had a conversation with a young lady not that long ago. Uh, she's a great worker, really sharp lady. Um, I was telling her about our church, invited her to our church. 
She's asking why we're called Vertical Church. I'm explaining that whole, you know, it's the idea of a posture for God's glory. We meet to worship him first and foremost. Everything else flows from there. I'm explaining all this. She's nodding her head. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. She's, she's, I'm, I'm assuming that she's a follower of Jesus. She's just eating this up. And then I had to go. She had to go. The conversation's wrapping up. And she makes this comment. Yeah, I just really hope I can make it to heaven one day. I'm doing my very best. I'm doing as good as I can do. I hope I make it. All right, well, that doesn't really line up with Ephesians 2, does it? You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I, I engaged a few more comments there, said a few more things. It didn't, it didn't face her. She didn't really understand. She was blinded to the truth. But I walked away knowing I'm going to have another conversation with her. And I have had a few more conversations with her. But I say that to say... We can't make this excuse that people have already heard, that people just, they already know. I don't have anybody to talk to. People are all around you who you need to talk to about this. But here's the four reasons we don't witness. Number one, we don't think about it. Number two, we're afraid of offending someone. Number three, we don't see immediate results. And number four, we put too much of it on our own selves. Now, I don't have a chapter and verse for those four excuses. Those are just four excuses that I've seen in my own life. I've seen those in other people's lives. So, I mean, maybe you think it's accurate. Maybe there's another, another something for you. But I want to today go through each one of those excuses, and I want to honestly just eviscerate those excuses by looking at the truth in the book of Acts. Okay, so turn to Acts with me. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. And we are going to see that Scripture tells us witnessing is not that difficult. It's not that complicated. And it's way more simple than you would believe. So the first excuse, I don't think about it. I'm too busy. Now, I would, I would definitely agree with you. We probably are too busy. And I understand there are times when I don't think about it. But that's not a good excuse. Because point number one is embrace your true calling. Embrace your true calling. If you're truly realizing what you're here to do, first and foremost, to glorify God. But one of the ways we glorify God, one of the primary ways we do that is by sharing our faith. We are not going to miss our own identity in Christ. So look at verse 8 in chapter 1, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What a powerful, amazing verse that this is. Not only is this a command, but this is a prophecy. Do you see here that Jesus says to the disciples, hey, you're going to go into Jerusalem, you're going to spread this truth. You're going to then go to Judea, and then you're going to take another step out into Samaria, that place no one wants to go, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. So not only is it a, it is a, is it a command, it's a prediction that has been fulfilled. Because Spartanburg, South Carolina, is the ends of the earth from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, right? Here we are talking about Jesus, what he's done for us. That has happened. And Jesus says this directly to his disciples, right? But he also said to his disciples as he was leaving this present earth, he said, teach others to do all that I have commanded you. You disciples go out there and make more disciples. And these disciples that you make, they need to do what you're doing. 
So the simple fact that the disciples were told to go out and be witnesses, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to go share this good news, they're also supposed to relay that to the disciples they make, and so on and so forth, which is, again, why we're standing here today. We have the same, same calling. It's, it's, it's our identity as well, to share what Jesus has done. You were called to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit and go. You were the church. We, we joke about this all the time, and it's true. If the church isn't on mission, it's just a bunch of disobedient Christians hanging out. You follow that? We can't, we can't fall into that trap of thinking, well, I'm just doing my thing and worshiping God. Worship God and be motivated and moved by what he's done for you. Pray. Be filled with the Spirit and open your mouth boldly. One of the most important aspects of this truly is being filled with the Spirit. All of this is Holy Spirit empowered, Holy Spirit enabling us. The Bible talks so much about this. We are to live by the Spirit, Romans 5. We are to be filled with the Spirit. You see how the Spirit plays such a key component in this? And here's the thing about witnessing, though, that I've thought about. There's other passages of Scripture that warn us about grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. When we ignore the prompting that the Holy Spirit gives us to have a conversation with someone, is what we're doing is we're, we're quenching the Spirit. We're ignoring the fact that he wants us to be filled and to share his good news, to be his messenger, and we grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit in this area more than a lot of other areas, I would say. Not that we all do that, but that does happen. He wants to speak through you. You know what I'm talking about when I say the prompting, right? It's this burning passion in your heart, this, this, this spark, this desire. I should probably say something to that person. I need to, I need to say something to them. I don't, maybe I'll just start up a conversation and start asking them some questions and see where it goes. That's what you've got to do. You're an ambassador for Christ. This is your identity. Embrace your true calling. The next excuse is pretty rich, honestly, when you stop and think about it. The excuse, I'm just afraid of offending someone. I don't want to offend anybody. As if those people aren't already offended. Think about that for a minute, right? Today's day and age, the Twitterverse that we live in, I mean, it's, it's outrage left and right. We live in a very offended society, and if you don't follow exactly what they think, I mean, we talk about tolerance all the time, but there's really a lot of intolerance in our society of, of tolerance, quote unquote. There's, there's, I mean, we had a lot, I mean, I could just name off topics and people would get upset at me for just bringing up those topics. I mean, I, should I even mention the Big Macs that were on silver platters in the White House? I don't, I don't know. Probably shouldn't bring that up. Somebody might get offended because I'm not offended about it. I don't know. But here's the thing. People don't like when you tell them they need Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And remember we said in our three-part gospel, you were created in God's image to have a relationship with him and to worship him. That's what you were designed for. Part two quickly follows. You fell. You're a sinner. Your relationship with God, you're not who you're supposed to be. Well, that's the offensive one. But then God still loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He changed my life. He can change your life. See, this message, yes, is it offensive? You're a sinner. That is offensive. 
But there's so much more to it. If we tell it in the right way and share that without being offensive in unnecessary ways, we have nothing to fear. We have absolutely nothing to fear. So yes, we're afraid of offending someone. We don't need to be afraid of offending people. This is what we have to do instead. Point number two, confront the confusion. Confront the confusion. Acts 2, verse 1. I want to just read here briefly. Um, I mean, we could, we could preach a whole other sermon from this passage. Today, we're, we're really focusing on witnessing. And I want to show you at the inception of the church in Isaiah 64, 1 moment here, where God's presence comes down. So, verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish religious celebration. This was the day that the law, they, they, that the Jews received the law. So you have at this point in time in Jerusalem, all these people from all these different areas, they've come to celebrate the, at the Feast of Pentecost. They're celebrating the coming of the law. But for the church, Pentecost is the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to see right here. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house and they, where they were sitting. And the divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound a multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Confusing situation. People have no idea what's going on. They're like, wait a minute, wow. And let me just ask you this. Do we live in a confusing time? Of course we do. Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Is the Bible reliable? Well, I mean, there's all these questions people have. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus came to die for your sins. Yes, the Bible is reliable. I would say I would affirm all those things. But people don't understand them. People are living in darkness. People don't even realize the hope that they're looking for and they're searching for is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to do what Paul does, what Peter does right here, and confront the confusion. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. I love his sarcastic sense of humor here. We're not drunk. Why? Because it's 9 a.m., people. It's 9 a.m. So look, this is what's happening. He, he talks about 
the prophecy of Joel. We are being, this is what was prophesied. The Holy Spirit will come and fill young men, young women. We, I mean, this has never happened before. It's not for the spiritual elite that have the Holy Spirit working in them now, like the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is coming to all who believe. This is what Peter explains, and he confronts the confusion by simply communicating the essentials. This is the truth, and this is what you need to hear. The world is antagonistic to the name of Jesus. But we don't need to worry. We don't need to fear what they think. We don't need to let them set the agenda and, and dictate the conversation. We don't need to let them tell us what we believe or dominate the conversation. We need to focus on the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Don't back off because people might get offended. People are already offended. If they don't know Jesus, they are probably upset about some things that they don't need to be upset about. And they need to hear the truth. And your job is to lovingly share that truth. Verse 29, if you see that there, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He's, he's talking about what uh, the, the prophecy of Jesus Christ and how he's fulfilling it and how the Holy Spirit's coming. And he says there, with confidence. It's the Greek word parousia. All right, And this doesn't mean a in-your-face, I'm right, you're wrong, shape up. No, the, the, word, the Greek word actually is an open, joyous confidence. So it's, I'm happy, I have, a, I have a sweet spirit, I'm an engaging, personable person, and I'm confidently explaining to you what Jesus has done in my life. Like, I have nothing to fear, nothing, I have nothing to hide, nothing to hold back. I'm just open, and I'm joyous, and I'm confident because, and they, believe me, they can see that in your voice and in your countenance when you portray something that way. Um, verse 20, 23, this is a good one. Oh, well, verse 22, let's go to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with that mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of lawless men. You see in verse 23, you have the sovereignty of God. God made this happen. He, he put Jesus into this world. And in the same verse, not only do you see the sovereignty of God, you also see the responsibility of man. God brought him here and you crucified him by the hands of lawless men. So Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter is communicating the essential truth that you need to know. This isn't an angry, I can't believe you don't think this way the way I think. We were talking on our podcast this week and Sally Enns brought this up. She was like, you know, we don't need to expect the lost people to think like us. It's ridiculous to expect them to think the way we think. Of course they're not going to think the way we think. They don't know Jesus Christ. So let's not expect them and get angry if they don't believe the way we believe. Let's, let's not worry about that. If you're so caught up in that, you're not going to be able to deliver confidently and openly and joyously what you're supposed to deliver. We have to get past the fear of offending people. We do realize that part two of our three-part truth is offensive, that you're a sinner. But part three is God loves you anyway. 
He loves you even though you spit in his face. And he takes the fact that you are lost and he sends a loving Savior to die for you. So share the gospel message. Confront the confusion. The Lord has been crucified. Verse 32 and 33, let's just look at that really quick too. 32. This Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So is what he is saying is, look, the Lord has been crucified, therefore our sins have been forgiven. The Lord has been glorified, therefore the Spirit has been poured out upon us. The third excuse is, I just don't see any immediate results. And that honestly can be discouraging. Okay, I, I can see how this one works out. Wow, I'm, try, I'm just trying over and over again. I'm just not seeing anything happen. So that's an excuse that sometimes we have. Um, it is discouraging, for sure. But we can't let that stop us from doing what we need to do. Because look what Peter does. Point number three is read the reaction. Point number three, read the reaction. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You have to realize that every time you present the gospel... Sometimes people are ready to respond, like right here. Verse 37, they're cut to the heart. What do we need to do, Peter? What do we need to do? Other times, like when I was talking to the girl who just thought she needed to work hard, I gave her the gospel, and it just, just went in one ear and out the other, and it just was not connecting with her. That's okay. I'm not going to keep pushing, and I'm not going like, to make an awkward situation. She's not ready. It's all right. Sometimes people are ripe, and they're ready, and sometimes people haven't had the circumstances in life happen yet to ripen them to the truth of the gospel. But a very important thing to understand is everybody needs to hear the truth. We just deliver the message, share the scripture, and that God's word will not return void. There's a book that I read on this uh, by a guy named Bill Fay. It's called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. Awesome book. We've gone on mission trips before, and I've always had people read this book. And he says in there that it actually takes a person on average 7.6 times to hear a presentation of the gospel before they will repent. So you realize maybe you're not seeing immediate results. Well, you know what? Maybe you're not the right person at the right time, and that's okay. But you were one of those 7.6 presentations of the gospel. So you could be number one. That could be the first time they ever heard the gospel. You could be number three. You could be number 13. But it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, we talk about all the time in the, in the book Vertical Church, we talk about green apples and red apples. Green apples is a person who they're not ready to accept Christ. They're, they're not thinking about it, and the Holy Spirit hasn't done that work in their heart yet. But we can still play a part in it. We can still show them the truth. We can show them that God's done something in our life. And I mean, I've talked to people who've said to me, Christians, I've actually talked to Christians who've said to me, I remember every single person who witnessed to me before I came to Christ. I don't remember everything they said, but I remember exactly what they looked like, and I remember their spirit. Sometimes they were nervous, sometimes they were, they were really confident, but they remember it. And God uses every single one of those, those opportunities we have to share our faith. Verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, right here, this is the inception of the church. And this is a transitionary period of time. So when Peter says, repent and be baptized, we, we have read Ephesians 2. It didn't talk about baptism in there, right? Repentance and faith is salvation. Baptism is an outward expression of your inward faith. So, so don't get confused here. Some, some people do confuse this in, in Acts and the preceding chapters here in Acts, and they elevate baptism to something more than it really is. Baptism is a step of obedience. Baptism is, is a symbol of you picturing your newness of life. You were buried, you were, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, and you were raised as you come up out of the water to newness of life. You're picturing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're outwardly saying to people, I have faith in Jesus. I believe that he saved me from my sins, and I want to live for that. That is baptism. Maybe there's someone in here today who's never been baptized. And if you're a Christian and you're, you have faith in Jesus, baptism is the next step of obedience for you. So don't get confused by what Peter is saying there. But he is just saying, look, you need to repent, you need to, which is a turning, it's a changing of your mind, and you need to believe in Christ and follow him in obedience. This isn't a pushy, this isn't afraid to ask. It's not either one of those extremes. This is just a confidently, openly sharing your faith and reading the reaction, where are they at, and what do I need to say to them to help them go to the next step. You can't really fail. You really can't. Because all you have to do is open up your mouth and let God do the rest. I was talking to a guy on a plane once, and, I mean, our conversation started because I was wearing, like, a Packer hat, and he was a Colts fan, and, and ended up being able to share the gospel with him. And he said something to me. He said, I just keep running into Christians. Everywhere I go, I run into Christians who are talking about this. And he wasn't ready to accept Christ that day, and that's okay. But I told him, well, you know what? Sounds like God is working on your heart, and you're probably going to run into another Christian. He's like, I guess I will. And, and he went his way, and I went my way, and now I just am praying that the next Christian comes along. And we have to remember, sowing the seed is so valuable and so important. So don't get discouraged. Just read the reaction and realize that God is going to do the work. Here's point four. Trust God with the results. Do you see that segue? <laughs> Trust God with the results. Look at verse 39 right here in Acts 2. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you see who's doing the work here? The Holy Spirit is the one who's, who convicts that person. God is the one who saves that person. And this is why, when I said that other excuse, we put too much of it on ourselves as the fourth excuse. Oh, I, I got to say the right thing, David. I'm worried. I don't, what if I mess up? What if I'm not smooth? And what if I say something wrong? And we use that as an excuse, but it's not really an excuse, right? The more, sure, the more you share your faith, the better you're going to get at it. And that's important to work at it. I'm not just saying be flippant about it. Obviously, you want to, want to think through what you're going to say, and, and the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. But that's not an excuse to open up your mouth because we can't truly mess it up. God is the one who calls people to himself. It's right there in verse 39. And if you need confidence, if you need assurance, 
Just underline verse 39 in your Bible. You know what? It's not up to me. It's not, I'm ultimately not the one who's going to make this happen. God is the one who is going to save that person. Know your part and know God's part. We can't emphasize this enough. It's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to obey God and open up your mouth. He's the one who's going to do the saving. Play your part and trust God with the rest. I was thinking about this in, 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 you know, in basketball. I used to be a coach for basketball. The coach has a job and the player has a job, right? Two separate things. They work together, though. And when I was coaching basketball, this was a few years ago, um, we had a game. It was a high school basketball game. And we were up by about 10 to 12 points the entire game until about halfway through the fourth quarter. And halfway through the fourth quarter, there's this other kid. I, I don't remember his number. I do remember what he looks like, though, because he just caught fire. And, I mean, he just started draining threes. And he single-handedly brought his team back into the game. So there's like 30, 40 seconds left in the game. I'm the coach. I got to do something about this because this guy is literally unconscious and he's going to win this game if I don't do something about it. So as a coach, I call timeout. And we had a guy in our team who was a soccer player. He was an athlete. He was lanky, pretty fast, really, you know, you know what I'm talking about? He was athletic, but he didn't have the basketball polish, so I never really played him. But he'd been playing some good lockdown D in practice that week. And I'm, I'm this new coach, and I'm thinking, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in my man here, my soccer athlete, and I'm just going to say, look, your job is to stick with, we'll call this kid who was on fire number 30. I don't remember his real number, but he was basically like Steph Curry. So we'll just say, you're on number 30, okay? Don't leave number 30. Stick with number 30. Just be on him like glue. I already envision what an amazing coach this guy is. He makes this defensive substitution, and they're going to call this kid the glove now. That's what I'm, all these things are going through my mind. We start the game. What happens? My defensive specialist completely loses his mind, leaves number 30 wide open, and of course he just sinks a 3 nothing but net, and the game is tied. I immediately pulled my defensive specialist out of the game and sat him back down on the pine. I got a really angry phone call from his mom the next day because I had done I mean... Not my best coaching moment, right? But I say all that to say, like, he had a job to execute. I had a job. You know what I mean? Like, we can't worry about what the other person's going to do. You don't worry about how they respond. Read the reaction and go from there. But trust God with the results. You were called to be witnesses. God does the saving. He doesn't put the pressure on you. There's two kinds of churches, really. There's two kinds of churches out there. There's churches that talk about the lost, and there's churches that talk to the lost. Our church has to be the second church. We can't just be this church that feels good about ourselves for showing up on Sunday morning, and, you know, we read the books, we talk to each other, and we never actually open up our mouth boldly and proclaim the mystery of the gospel. God wants us to live for his glory. And you can't really do that if you're not praying, and you're not in the spirit, and you're not sharing what he's done in your life. Our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. 
And that means that we're going to share the good news of Jesus with boldness. I was praying about it this week. You know, I'm preaching the sermon on this, so I had extra motivation to pray about this this week. And all week I had been praying, Lord, I want to really have a good opportunity to share my faith with someone. Would you please open up an opportunity? And uh, it was Friday afternoon. I was at Little River Coffee. I, was, I literally was about to write my last line on my notes, my little note sheet here. It was, it was like 99.9% done. And this girl next to me, college student, just started a conversation. I don't know if you realize this, but usually female, younger females don't just engage in a conversation with an older guy. That doesn't happen very often, right? She just started talking. I started asking a couple questions. We ended up talking for 20 minutes about the saving faith that I have. I hope she comes to our church one day. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she did come to our church one day. It would be incredible. I could see God doing that because God opened up that door. I prayed about it. I didn't do anything else. She just opened up her mouth and started talking to me, and I, I had the opportunity to share my faith. That's what we all need to do. So today, as we close this service and sing and praise God, if you know of someone at your job that you need to witness to, that you need to share the fact that you were lost, you were hopeless, Jesus died and rose again and saved you. If, you. if that's you, if you know somebody at work, would you just stand up right now? If there's somebody at work, I know I need to witness to this person. I'm going to stand up. Maybe there's somebody at school. Maybe there's somebody that you hang out with in your hobby. And you know, I, I, I need to, I, I've had a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I probably should talk to that person. Would you stand up right now? Let's all stand. Let's remember we live for the highest name. Let's live for what matters most. And let's share the burning in our soul, the good news of Jesus Christ.